The Australian Association of Social Workers respectfully acknowledges the past and present traditional owners and ongoing custodians of the lands on which this podcast is being recorded. We pay our respects to their elders past and present, their ancestors and their families, and to the elders of other communities who may be listening. Welcome to Social Work People, a podcast from the Australian Association of Social Workers investigating the diverse world of social work and connecting listeners to the people actively driving change and providing advocacy on the issues that impact upon the quality of life of all Australians. Social Work People explores what social workers are doing and thinking, the stories behind their work, the issues they grapple with, and the vision that keeps them going. Hello, I'm your host, Angela Scarf. When a technology company invited a social worker to join their team, they thought that her skills would be a helpful but optional addition to their core task of teaching people digital literacy. But Anna Morgan had been thinking about digital inclusion for a long time. She had already realised that this is an important new space where the social work mindset should be leading innovation. She could see this was an opportunity to illuminate a different way of thinking about the relationship between people and technology. Good morning, Anna. Now, you work in a role at an organisation that social workers don't usually work in, so it'll be great to come back to what is social worker about your role. But before we do, we need you to explain uh, the organisation that you work in and what you do there, please. Sure. Thanks, Angela. Um, So I work at InfoExchange and InfoExchange is a social enterprise that's been around for about 30 years and we work primarily focused on technology development We work across Australia and New Zealand, and I guess the core area of our work is around developing and maintaining software products like um, data and case management systems, predominantly for the community and government sector. And yeah, another part of the work that we do is the Ask Izzy platform, which a lot of social workers might be familiar with, which is a bit of a one-stop shop for community services, programs and activities to help people navigate, I guess, a very complex system. And I guess I, the work that I do is actually tucked off a little bit in um, a different area. So I work in the social impact team and we're not directly making technology or, or software. Our focus is on social innovation and we're quite a community-facing team. So we do have a social worker, which is me, on the team and also a teacher, which is fairly unusual for a tech company. So the area that I work in is digital inclusion And the work that I do is pretty focused on understanding the sort of gaps that exist for people around technology, focused on uh, ability, so the ability of people to be able to actually use technology, access, so that sort of thing around uh, is there coverage in, in areas, do people have black spots and affordability. So I am predominantly focused on ability in my role, so looking at issues of digital um, skills in the community We know through all of the conversations that we have with community sector workers and the community that so many people are struggling, while digital skills did go up out of necessity, out of the COVID pandemic, but what we see is that more and more of 
life is being digitized and, and being forced into the digital space. And what we see is just there's, you know, probably an inadequate response is what we see in terms of support for the community and community sector. So we're really engaged in those conversations. And my job is sort of to make sense of that. I'm a, you know, researcher, problem solver, advocate, and my work sort of hovers between the community and the community sector, looking through the lens of digital inclusion. Before we get onto your work, we've got to make it clear that we're talking about more than people just using the internet for entertainment and recreational purposes. What you're picking up is that more and more of our interaction with government or with business happens through the digital platform. So we don't even get a statement of how much we've or how little we've earned during the year. We're expected to make some kind of MyGov ID and set up and go and find it ourselves. So a lot of the work that government and organisations used to do for us has been now outsourced to us and you need to be digitally literate. So am I right in thinking that you're picking up that there's a real social justice dimension here about people's access to services that are theirs by right but that we now have to go and chase over the internet. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, we've often framed this sort of space as digital inclusion. And I think what we're really seeing is we can reframe it as digital justice because what we're seeing is that, you know, I've been working with people in living in public housing and the social workers that support them and the sorts of challenges that the people that they're supporting are up against daily is extremely stressful because they're unable to interact with services in the way that they they historically have and suddenly the need for them to overnight develop complex digital skills complex to navigate a complex online system is enormous and the knock-on effect on that on the sector is phenomenal in the conversations that we're having there's an enormous amount of pressure on workers whether we're thinking specifically in the community sector around social workers and allied health workers but also the library staff, that's where we're picking up that a lot of people who might be, you know, going to speak to their telco providers or utility providers or the government for support are being, or the job act or the formerly job access network are being redirected to either their caseworkers or to the library sector who are taking on the burden of this enormous new load of um, complex work. Mm. Let's leave aside librarians just for the moment, can you tell us a bit more about your actual project? Sure. The Connected Communities Project is the piece of work that I've been leading for the past year. It was generously funded by the TPG Telecom Foundation, who have really given us this rare opportunity to pursue a piece of work in a very innovative way. And as a consequence, we've been able to do some phenomenal work in partnership with neighbourhood houses, with primary health organisations such as Star Health, and with Australian Red Cross. And, you know, the starting point for this work was we know that there's a lot of different digital skills responses in the community. Some of them are working terrifically for many people in the community. But what we know is that there are people that will not walk through the door of the library. They will not engage with those programs for a lot of complex reasons that we can, you know, identify in our, through our work. And we saw that that sort of framing that exists, this technology with a capital T, that sits there is not necessarily the right doorway for everyone. And in fact, those drivers, the things that motivate people to use technology, is not, it's not all about the device. It's about a complex set of human needs, dreams, aspirations and challenges. And so 
the work that we wanted to do was bring set technology sort of a little bit more in the background and bring a focus on relationships, bring a focus on those human challenges, those human aspirations. And so the model that we brought together brings together, you know, I guess digital thinking. We do have those skills to really think about technology and how to introduce people to technology, but also this idea of asset-based community development, which is seeing the opportunity, the strengths, the potential and starting where we're at with the conditions that we're in. So for us, that meant bringing people together in workshops, in different environments to talk about technology, to talk about their aspirations and to find ways to build a bridge between the opportunities that might exist with technology and the sorts of things that they want to talk about and share and connect. So we're, you know, building supporting capacity in a multitude of ways that's not, um, you know, it's not a siloed experience where we're just predominantly trying to fix the digital gap or the digital need, but we're really looking at the whole person and bringing each, you know, individual and community together. So this wasn't a how to use your mobile phone training session that you're talking about. These workshops, they started in a different place and they took a different methodology, didn't they? Yeah, so um, I think the way that we've worked, if we think about it really expansively, first of all, we started with setting up relationships with community organisations and that meant working absolutely side by side with them and really identifying how we might work and what might be best for the community that they understand and then working in dialogue with community so that everybody was involved. And I'll speak specifically related to Star Health, working in public housing. We worked with the social workers who identified the challenge. So we sat with them and we tried to understand what that was and we built our team as well because we were committed to working to, with them and not going in and doing it but working with them to do it. And then the next stage for us was to start having some conversations with the community and so for us, that meant working, we had 12 people initially. And so sitting down and having a conversation and learning about each participant, each community member, where were they in their digital experience? What was their experience of being in classroom environments? So we understood, you know, the full picture of what it might be for people to come into a space to learn a thing. We learned about their support networks. These are people in public housing in Melbourne who were already in touch with social workers and you spent time getting to know them and what their lives were before we've even started working out what's going to happen in this workshop. That's exactly right. So the whole experience was really, we call it co-designed and co-produced, which meant that we went in not making any assumptions, understanding that there were definitely challenges related to technology, but we didn't know what a, an engagement or an activity might look like. We worked on the basis of every conversation that we had with the social work team was the basis of information of where we might go next. And then on the basis of the conversations that we had with the community, that's helped us start formulating a sense of what is the goal of these combined people? How might that come together? What are they concerned about? What are they trying to achieve? What are the barriers? What's their feeling about being together in a group after, you know, being in lockdown for a couple of years? That was a huge barrier for a lot of people to come together. And a huge part of the way that we worked, I think, that's very different than many senses is we built a relationship with each person that was in that group beforehand you know we we learned about the sort of music preferences and the sorts of interests that they might have and so when they you know came together as a group you know we know that they felt heard and seen and understood and that was part of all of those experiences and those conversations with threads that were sort of woven into the group experience 
And what happened in the instances, which I'm sure did happen, when the things that people were really worried about were things that were originally in your mind not what this project was about, beyond the scope of a digital inclusion project? That's a very interesting question. So because we had a very big focus on conversation, group conversation, so we had sort of like if we were to break down a sort of components of our workshop, we might look at sort of some of the more technical aspects where we're doing a thing or learning a thing. We also had very extensive group conversations about people's experiences with technology. And so in those really rich conversations, which, you know, it was wonderful how they evolved, facilitated conversations where we used a, I guess, a, the knowledge and the wisdom of the group. So when someone had a challenge, somebody else shared that and they'd share their knowledge. And if they didn't continue to provide their own experience in the workshop, they did so afterwards. So you're making progress in terms of people's ability to engage digitally over the internet with things they need and things that they need to be doing. So there was a teaching element of it or was it a teaching each other process? There is certainly an element of a facilitator in this particular group. And what we're really fortunate, and I think it's very important to emphasise with this type of work, is we did have involvement with the social workers. We had we had a support system in the group, you know, and to imagine I think often there is an oversimplified notion of bringing people together around technology. We'll just have one teacher and, you know, a group of people. We had people sort of they're alert to where support might be needed. And we really, you know, we use the resources, which is the that knowledge of the group to bring, you know, if we knew somebody was quite skilled in an area, we'd bring them into a small group with people that were not quite as far down the road through technology. So we were using resources in a clever way. But that role of facilitator, that holding of the space is fundamental. And I think, you know, when we're doing a stand and deliver versus facilitation, it's very different. So there was this idea, it's the sort of, I feel like there's this metaphor of the air traffic controller. The resources are in front of us and it's just a matter of us trying to understand how we might be able to help people support each other. And then, of course, we understood what the big themes were through our initial interviews that we did with the residents at, um, in this particular case, that we had a bit of a, a recipe of themes that we knew resonated with the group of people. And sometimes we just check in with the group and say, is this what we want to be talking about? What do we want to be doing next? Yeah. Just in terms of from a, a sort of like a program planning point of view, I'm just trying to understand whether this was always designed with a social worker on board. It was always intended that you would be there and use a particular practice. Or was this you were doing one aspect of a bigger project that was rolling out and there were some groups that were very much a stand-up person giving a an old-fashioned sort of class on how to use your iPad? That's a very interesting question. So I guess, you know, looking back at this piece of work, we started off working on a project called Connected Futures, and that used a particular methodology and a, a particular approach, a human-centred design approach. If anybody's familiar with that, it's a design methodology. You know, when I stepped in, coming from the sort of more sociological, social work side of things, I was looking at that sort of analysis of the micro, the meso and the macro, which I think is very unique to the way that we are trained and the way that we think as change makers, as social workers. And so rather than, you know, creating a new product or an experience or a project, I was thinking about and concerned for the capacity of those that deliver the work. 
you know, if we give people such as social workers, such as educators, a tool, how is this going to integrate in their system? How are they going to be able to replicate this work? Is it going to burn them out? Is it going to confuse people? Is it going to rob them of the very scarce, the few resources they have in terms of time? And so I was often thinking about looking through the lens as a social worker, what might this look like in a delivery sense? What are the dynamics? What are the skills necessary in that sort of, you know, meso level? How would this work with a range of community organisations? I think, again, social workers understand that the community sector is not a thing. It's an ecosystem that functions in very different ways and the services that we have are extremely complex and different. And then that sort of macro level advocacy, like doing a thing is one thing, but how can we capture the attention of people to say there's real need here? Actually, this is what we discovered. This is the work that we're doing. This is why it's important. So that advocacy piece is really important. And I think, you know, I can see actually, you know, in conversations that I've had with designers that work might work in different ways, they see in the way that this project is run the real benefit of those lenses and I know that there's there's suddenly this aha moment where it's like social workers have a lot to offer actually in this world of design and technology and you know leading change because of this I'd say it's you know a systems a systems thinking lens that we have. Yeah, yeah, because when we start having this conversation and you think, oh, a social worker in digital inclusion, that's unusual. But then hearing you talk. As a listener, it's so obvious that the skills that you brought are exactly the ones that this project needed. And it sounds to me as though the other people involved in this project who went in as digital type people went on the same journey and suddenly it was obvious to them that a social worker was exactly the person they should have in this project. Is that what happened? Absolutely. I think to build really good and safe and productive relationships, it takes time. And I think in this sort of you know, this world where we're really, we sort of rationalise our time in a particular way. This is the way that I've always worked, where I build very strong relationships with all of the collaborators, the people that I work with. And I think initially people might be a bit panicked by that in this sort of collective journey that we were on. And I know that what they see now is the bigger picture, that these relationships are robust, that we're all invested, that, you know, to make a strong and sustainable project of any, or, you know, thing in the world, if we have the investment of people, say, for example, the residents in Union Street at Star Health that live in public housing, they're rallying for this work. They made this with us. Then we've got, you know, the social workers who are advocating for a new way of working. And then we've got people on my team, you know, at Info Exchange that are saying, yeah, I see something different, actually. I see we, we've, we've illuminated a different way of thinking about things and, and the reason why we might change our practices. So it's been a, a fantastic thing. I feel like there's more and more opportunities now everywhere for the social work mindset to be in, in this world and so many other, you know, innovative spaces. Mm. So the project, is it's winding up, is that right? I'm just interested in what next for this project. So the next stage for this project is we've just finished a, a comprehensive project report. Our hope is that that our findings and the and the the insights that we're sharing through that project report will be just the beginning of a range of other initiatives because there is a degree of advocacy, not just specifically focused on a new type of approach or you know, digital inclusion projects or programs, but there is also 
we've put a lot of attention and care into the things that we, the recommendations we make for sector workers. So the next step for us is we've completed our, our funding cycle on this particular leg of the project, but we see so many possibilities and we have quite a lot of interest from the academic community and certainly from the community sector. We see many possibilities of us working closely, particularly with public housing and the older person's high-rise project model, which is a model of funding that's, that's in Melbourne, and we see you know great possibilities for that. In our project report, we've really emphasised the need for further funding and resourcing and attention to the communities on the community sector and the sort of the, the challenges that are present for now that we see this real inundation of work coming in specifically related to ad hoc digital support. And so that's an area that we'd like to continue to advocate and work and contribute our ideas and solutions in that space. But I really encourage anyone who's interested in different ways of thinking about inclusion, um, not just digital inclusion, but inclusion in general and, and community programs to take a read of the report. Congratulations on the work that you've been doing. It is fascinating and it, I think you're a trailblazer. So thank you very much, Anna, and goodbye. Thank you, Angela. Goodbye. This has been Social Work People a podcast of the Australian Association of Social Workers. To discover more about the AASW or social work in Australia, please visit our website, aasw.asn.au. If you would like to learn more about the people or issues discussed during our podcasts, please contact us at media at aasw.asn.au.